Defenders podcast, the fan podcast about the Marvel Netflix series. It's Claire and again, my fellow Defenders are off, hopefully watching Iron Fist and doing their homework for next week's episode. So I'm really excited to uh, bring you guys another interview. Um, this time I am joined with the lady who has put so many beautiful people in so many beautiful outfits in these shows. Um, I'm joined by Stephanie Maslansky. Hi, Stephanie. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on. As I said before, I know you're super busy and you're you're probably just relaxing after um, things have wrapped <laughs> on the Defenders and just enjoying some time out, I imagine. Uh, just a little bit, yeah, before yeah. <laughs> we move on to uh, Luke Cage season two. But oh, yeah, wow. oh, now cool. is a good moment. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in Florida, so I hope you're enjoying the weather and, you know, just relaxing. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I'm so pleased to have you on. We've um, we've been really lucky on our show. We've spoken to several people from the shows uh, since we've started covering them, whether they're the actors, the writers, um, the, the stunt choreographers. We spoke to Lauren Weeks, who I'm sure you know um, in terms of production design. Um, and I wanted to talk about the costumes for a long time. Uh, my background is actually in production design and costume design many years ago although I got into illustration, so it's something I'm fascinated by, and I absolutely adore the work you've done on all of these shows. So I have to say that first up, uh, this is a big Marvel fan saying thank you so much for doing such a great job on these shows, and I'm really happy the shows have had um, such a positive response and that you guys have had so much praise for your hard work on these. Oh, why, thank you. I appreciate that. That's that's lovely thing for you to say, and we've just had... And a, a wonderful journey doing them. It's Lauren and I, you know, together. Just we just finished uh, the Defenders, and we looked at each other and said, "Wow, this has been quite a haul." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, because I guess with some of the actors, obviously they they've had breaks in between the shows. You know, uh, for Charlie Cox in between the you know Daredevil season one and season two. But for you guys working on all the shows, there's no break for you. You just go from one to the other. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you guys definitely deserve a little break before getting back into it. But obviously, please get mm -hmm. back into it because we want more awesome shows to come out for us to cover. Oh, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> more, more to come. Awesome. Definitely. Um, so I wanted to say, first of all, one of the um, we got a lot of questions from listeners. And one of the, the things that came up a few times, which I'm definitely interested in, because I'm a, a big Daredevil fan. I've been a fan since I was about 10. I have a Daredevil tattoo. The character has always meant a lot to me. Um, so the mm -hmm. fact that that was the first show was uh, was fantastic. Um, but a lot of listeners wanted to know um, about the kind of thought process that went into obviously designing the um, the costume for Daredevil, as in the final red costume we saw in the, that last couple of scenes in, in season one, um, because it has such a... Um, a progress in the plot throughout the first season. He starts off in the black outfit and then slowly gets the, the sort of sticks as part of the outfit and then realizes he needs more protection. Um, and obviously that is the first kind of superhero outfit you're doing in these Marvel Netflix shows. Um, so you, you're kind of setting the tone, I guess, with that outfit as to how you're going to approach superhero outfits in the rest of the shows. So I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that, if possible. Well, I... I'm afraid I might have to disappoint you just in terms <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> of, of what I have been involved with. But mm -hmm. uh, Daredevil was, of course, the first show that was made. Mm -hmm. And the Daredevil costume being such an incredibly iconic costume 
was extremely important. It was extremely important that the Marvel Cinematic Universe really be involved with the design of that. And as they are with many of the superhero costumes, um, but this one in particular in, in terms of the partnership with Netflix, um, this one was designed by Joe Quesada. It was illustrated oh, okay. by his team out uh, in at Marvel. And it was built in uh, Los Angeles um, by Hargate Films, which mm-hmm. is an amazing, or Hargate, I'm sorry, Hargate, Hargate Costumes, which is an extraordinarily well-respected costume building um, uh, franchise out there. And um, it, it, uh, I really had, I hate to say it, but I had very little if nothing to do with the actual creation and building of the red costume. I had a great deal to do with the vigilante costume that I was mm-hmm. asked to pitch my ideas and I did. And, um, after a little bit of tweaking, they were, you know, accepted and we went forward with, um, creating that look and how that look evolved. But once he got into the suit, that was something that was really brought to me pretty much fait accompli. And, um, you know, the, the, the reason that costume came to being, which is part of why I love these shows, being very grounded in a very authentic, gritty New York reality is because, you know, the, um, you know, what we do is we marry the fantastic to the uh, everyday. And this incredible costume was born out of a need, out of a practical need for Daredevil to protect himself or for Matt Murdock as a vigilante to protect himself. And once he discovered that, um, Melvin Potter was creating, was you know, building these suits for, for Wilson Fisk, Fisk and some of his colleagues that were bulletproof and knifeproof. He got it into his head that, you know, he tried. He he'd also work with Melvin Potter in creating something that would protect him far more than his vigilante costume did as well. And so that's what happened. And once he got Melvin Potter onto his side after a fantastic fight, of course. Um, <laughs> Melvin and and of course Mel, uh, guaranteed the safety of Melvin's loved ones. Um, that was when that collaboration began, and mm-hmm. one can ex- assume, only assume that Daredevil and Melvin Potter sort of worked together on what was required and what was necessary and how it would look, and and that's what uh, Melvin presented to him once he was done. So all in all, I had very little to do with that first round of that costume. And once it evolved into the second season, mm-hmm. I have to say again, I had nothing to do with it because I didn't do second season. I was very much, I was very busy finishing up Jessica Jones and yeah. starting Luke Cage. So another costume designer uh, was um, uh, brought on to to do that work. Okay. And um, and that at that point, the costume did evolve a little bit for 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 some comfort's sake and, you know, some other reasons that it just needed to be uh, altered and, and more accommodating to um, Charlie in terms of fighting and, and also Chris Brewster in terms mm-hmm. of his stunt work. So uh, at that point, some alterations were made to the costume and uh, that's how it remained into um, the work that we've just completed, the Defenders. Okay. And so I can't say much about what's going to happen to the costume and the defenders, but suffice it to say that, you know, it does get revisited and um, you'll see how that works out. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, we had um, uh, 
questions as well. And something I would love to ask is, is about the, the vigilante costume, because it's we obviously see that for most of the first season of Daredevil. Um, and having sp we've spoken briefly to uh, Chris Brewster about his his stunt work on the show. A lot of the listeners as well wanted to know, was that a particular challenge in doing that costume? Because you have a character who doesn't need to be able to see through the costumes. So you have the black going over his eyes. But obviously, mm -hmm. Chris and Charlie do need to be able to see in order to be able to do their scenes and to do the stunt work. So did you find that was a, a particular challenge in, in actually making that so they could see through it? That mask was one of the biggest challenges of my life. Um, <laughs> I lost a lot of sleep <laughs> over <laughs> conceptualizing that and trying to figure out how to make it look the way it needed to look, which was completely opaque, mm -hmm. and yet allow to seeing people who, you know, an actor and a stunt coordinator, a, a stunt actor, to actually be able to see and work with these things and yet maintain the look. So we, there was a lot of research and development that went into the creating of these um, masks, and they also evolved, and they evolved from me working on them really even before I started the job, you know, when I'd gotten the job, you know, I wanted to start thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And um, I literally, you know, played with fabrics on, at my kitchen table for a couple of weeks before I even really came up with something to present for a first idea. And what we landed on was layers and layers of very stretchy netting, um, but not an, it was a, it was kind of a cotton netting, a cotton netting with a little bit of nylon in it, so it wasn't shiny. Um, I didn't want anything that looked spandexy. Yeah. And I thought if we use netting, at least there's going to be a sheerness to it. That if we layer it uh, everywhere, it's going to look opaque. But if we take away some of the layers around the eye area, then they'll, the actors are going to be able to see. And we had to come up with several versions of the mask because there were times that when we looked straight on at the actor, like when he wasn't fighting or when mm -hmm. he was just before he jumped into a fight, you needed to see it be completely opaque. And then once he started to fight and the angles were from above or behind or from the side, uh, you know, and, uh, at, at that point we could switch the masks into something with far less layers so the actors could actually see. So, there were as many multiples and versions of this mask as there are any of the costumes <clears throat> that we do. You it, know, when it looks and I, I'm, seamless, I'm, you can't tell at all that it's, it's yeah, a different masks. Yeah, well, I, it, exactly. I mean, you know, for any costume that we do, for example, if 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 one of the actors and of course Daredevil in particular fought a lot wearing a suit, and we'd have the suit that he would wear, you know, for normal wearing, and then once he started fighting in the suit. Uh, the multiple of that particular suit had um, spandex um, sections to it mm -hmm. everywhere, gussets we call them. And we put in gussets under the arms and at the knees and in the crotch and, you know, anywhere where he needed to be able to be flexible and move his arms and his legs. And the fabric needed to not rip every single time he made one move. So all of the costumes were adapted so that these characters could fight in them. And that's really a big job of what a costume designer does, especially in these action shows where people need to be able to fight wearing these clothes. Um, Absolutely. But what was done in the old days before spandex was invented, I can't even <laughs> venture to guess. But... You know, back in the old days of stunts, and yeah. 
I think they just kind of went for it and left all the rips and yeah. tears in there, probably. I, yeah. <laughs> I think so. I think that the rips and tears had to happen and they had to get stitched up in between. And there were, uh-huh. you know, obviously there's been many, many multiples for many, many shows gone by, but in years gone by. But um, that is certainly what we do these days to keep from uh, having to stop production every single time something happens to a costume. We yeah. need to be able to switch it out quickly or hopefully prevent it from happening at all. So getting back to the mask, um, like I said, there was a lot of research and devel- development. I mean, once we, I came up with the idea and we had several created, we had to put them on the actors and see how they felt and see that if the peripheral vision was there. Um, we found very quickly that um, we needed a structure underneath the mask in order to keep the mask from from pressing against these the guys' eyeballs and noses and mouths and, you know, keep literally prevent them from breathing and and seeing it all so at that point we brought in a milliner um Mm -hmm. who created a frame um for underneath the masks and we built the mask on top of the frame and that kind of changed everything and that made the masks far more malleable and far more wearable and it was like night and day we we kind of got to that point very early on because we we were constantly having to stop and adjust the costumes and, you know, help the actors be able to do their work. And, uh, you know, we realized that what we needed to do was really build this co- build this mask on a frame. And if I may jump forward into Iron Fist, sure. uh, we had to do the same thing for the, um, the uh, old Iron Fist costume. You know, remember oh, that I little loved. film? Yes. That was, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I intend to post some photos very now that I, I feel like a lot of fans have had the opportunity to see the full show. Mm-hmm. I intend to post some photos and some drawings and sketches oh, of the uh, evolution of, of that costume and evolution of some of the other costumes in the show so that people can see what was done and, what, and you know, how we did it. I love that you had the the old Iron Fist one in it. Like it was, it was. I think I, I was watching it with a big Iron Fist fan, um, a lot, who's one of our listeners as well. And um, I think she said that was the moment that made her cry because she was so happy that oh. there was that that character featured, um, who is possibly a, char- <laughs> a character from the comics that she loves. But yeah, that meant a lot to her. So thank you for that as well. I'm sure she'd want me to say that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was incredible. And of course, the film was such that, you know, it was very grainy. I mean, it really felt like an old film. So you could barely see anything. I mean, you know, the, the, a lot of work went into the the, uh, the, the to Iron Fist costume and to the characters that he was fighting. And, uh, you know, I love that you really couldn't make out much because it was literally a very grainy film that was probably taken by one of these terrified uh, uh, soldiers who mm-hmm. had a camera and uh but we will you know all will not all but some will be revealed shortly <laughs> as soon as i'm able to put those photos together and post them on instagram and and facebook and okay you cool. know um, i wanted Twitter. to say as well because um obviously as you mentioned the old iron fist costume there which is the classic iron fist look and i love the fact that you were able to um to to do like a little homage to the classic Luke Cage look in Luke Cage when he escapes and he's sure. wearing the outfit and obviously the classic Jessica Jones costume, which I don't know if you can see my little icon, my Skype icon. I'm a big fan of that costume and I wore it to the uh, Avengers, <laughs> uh, Avengers Age of Ultron premiere. <laughs> um, so I love that costume. And the fact that you guys got that in the series was, I, it was great. That was a real fan moment. Um, yeah, it was great. 
Well, it was it was a fun costume to do, but that unlike the Daredevil costume, unlike um, you know the, the unlike the, uh, the not the Cottonmouth, the Diamondback costume in mm-hmm. Luke Cage, you know that had to be something that was kind of cheesy and a real throwback to the yeah. uh, comic. So you know it had to be something that Jessica Jones looked at and said, "I'm not wearing that." Yeah. And you know I kind of have this fantasy that someday I'll be able to create something that really is you know far more kind of tech high-tech looking and very evolved and, you know, something that maybe she would put on. <laughs> I, I don't blame uh, her for you know, not wanting to wear it because I, I wore that no. and it was many layers of Spanx, many, many, many layers of Spanx. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not, it, it's not amenable to, you know, you really have to have, you have to have a, you have to have a comic book illustration body to look good in that. Yeah, and that thing, I think, you know, a Barbie, a Barbie look. Exactly. Um, I'm sorry, so, but it was fun making well. it. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. I, I think as well with Jessica Jones, um, like one of the things I definitely wanted to ask about was obviously Jessica Jones in the comics only really has the one costume, which is the dual costume, which she had the, the little cameo of. But apart from that, um, particularly in the original Alias book, she just wears kind of whatever, just everyday clothes, like maybe the jacket every mm-hmm. so often. Um, but she mm-hmm. has this very distinctive look in the show of the uh, the jacket and the jeans and the, the sort of grey um, scarf. Um, how mm-hmm. was that sort of coming up with that classic look for her, knowing that this is going to be in the promotional material and it needs to be something that's recognisable so people go, oh, it's Jessica Jones, but it needs sure. to look like everyday everyday clothing? Well, you know, that, that look evolved really quickly and we very quickly came to the decision that you know due to who jessica jones is and she's you know let's let's talk about who she is and who she's become for a moment Mm -hmm. i mean she's been incredibly traumatized and that trauma has uh has translated into some uh, into a young woman who drinks too much who tries to forget who who you know doesn't you know she just shields herself from the world at large in a way Mm -hmm. and she you know does her work as a private eye and 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 uh, peers into people's lives, and we cer- we soon learn why she peers into Luke Cage's life. We didn't know why at first. We just kind of thought that maybe she was attracted to him or interested in in him. We didn't understand until we've seen the show that she was responsible for the death of his beloved wife. Yeah, and that's why she's kind of obsessed with finding out about him. And that was just you know such a fascinating story in and of itself i mean so authentic i mean mm-hmm. you can only imagine that that kind of thing even happening in real life you know somebody just not being able to live with the guilt of having murdered somebody perhaps in a in a moment of you know horrible anger or just you know accidentally in a car mm-hmm. accident or in a moment of you know being you know inebriated or whatever you know that kind of stuff happens in everyday life and it's those are terrible terrible stories so this is a woman who was, you know, traumatized and sexually abused by this terrible man who was able to control her mind and make her do unspeakable things and, you know, both sexually and just against other people, which included killing Luke Cage's wife. And once she was able to escape from his clutches, you know, she was damaged goods. Mm-hmm. And she just, you know, she really shielded herself from having to uh, um, engage in in you know, relationships with other people. And she just kept herself as a private eye and, you know, just spying on people for a living and not having to get involved. And um, that sort of 
that you know sort of translated and and ran into you know her choice of style and you know in the way that she kind of didn't give a crap about relationships and being with people and really isolated herself and and drank to forget her past and even her present and uh you know she also you know we wanted that to be reflected in the in the kind of clothes that she wore and number 1 she chose this leather jacket she which you'll learn more about i think in season 2 but okay. um she chose she chose she chose this particular look and style because it shielded it helped to shield her i mean that it's a very tough jacket it's a motorcycle jacket it gave her the illusion of feeling you know sort of you know like she couldn't be bothered she couldn't be touched and uh the jeans and the boots i mean her look is very tough and mm-hmm. it sort of it masks and shields somebody who's ultimately you know very damaged and very vulnerable um but this is what she chose to present to the world and um as a result of that we really you know we wanted to give the feeling that this is a this is a person who really doesn't give a crap and she'd come home and maybe she you know when she bought those jeans she just said screw it, I'm going to buy three pairs of these jeans and whichever one is less dirty, I'll wear every <laughs> single day. And these boots, you know, this is what I'm going to wear. A couple of t-shirts, dark colors. Here's my scarf uh, that I picked up from maybe out of a garbage heap, who knows. But, you know, I'm, I'm just, this is what I'm going to wear every day and nobody's going to bother me. And maybe even, you know, yeah. if I don't shower too often, you know, people will bother me even less. And, or if I wear dirty clothes, people will bother me even less. And, um, yeah, scratch the part about not showering. But if I wear dirty, <laughs> you know, if I wear simple clothes, yeah, um, you know, people will just bother me less. And so um, that's how that outfit evolved into something that she wore every day and didn't really change much from. And I think in, the, in, in terms of this first season of Jessica Jones, if I think about it, I don't have it on the top of my head, but if I think about it, it she didn't change much more than a handful of times. No, I mean, it's just a few items, in the entire like the hoodie season. or, you know, just um, not wearing the scarf. But, yeah, it was pretty much Yeah, I mean, she changed when she, when she disguised herself, when she mm-hmm. was following Malcolm. Yeah. And she changed at the end when she exchanged clothes with Trish in order to f- try and fool, I guess it was the cops. I'm trying to remember now, the cops and... Uh, and Kilgrave. Um, Kilgrave himself, yeah. Yeah, no, so. Absolutely. Um, so I know, um, speaking about Jessica Jones as well, I think I, I saw you mention on um, Twitter before that you are personally a fan of uh, Trish's wardrobe. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So is that something that, yeah. that's kind of close to what you would you would pick yourself to wear? Well, you know, um, I, it's, it's not like I, I mean, I have a, I, I have a certain style and sometimes I post pictures of my favorite outfits on, on Instagram. I don't do it too often because I'm, it's just not who I am, but um, I, I tend toward comfortable but loose and I, I like what what I love is really interesting artful clothing whether I wear it myself or I put it on people and you know obviously the characters have to be true to who they are and um, um, in terms of of the choices for Trish I mean she was a very she's a very fashion aware person who um, you know you imagine she has a very kind of social life and she goes to a lot of events and has to look fantastic like any you know she's a celebrity Mm-hmm. Trish uh, Walker, and she has to look a certain way when she goes in, in 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 public. And even though she isn't on film, she runs a you know she's a radio she does a radio show. She still goes to work looking fabulous and comes home looking fabulous and goes out you know and looks great. And so 
Um, I do love look, working with couture clothing with certain designers who do extraordinary work and whether it be avant-garde or just gorgeous silhouettes. I have a wide, wide range of designers that I work with and that I love um, you know, utilizing for my costume design or in what I wear as well. And, you know, I just think that, you know, what you wear reflects a great deal of who you are. And mm-hmm. I'd like to, you know, put that forward in my, I, I, I like, I like the fans to kind of think about how these characters look and have a sense, you know, I like them to be able to get a sense of who they are as well from their clothing. I mean, that's, what we do. And, you know, I have a different, I think I have a different approach to costume design. Some all costume, you know, we all have our own approaches to costume design, but I've, mm-hmm. I've seen some designers say, I like my, I like my clothes to disappear, to go away once I put them on my actors. And that's not necessarily the way I feel. I like, I like the clothes to be noticed. I like them not to distract from what the dialogue is yeah. or what the action is, but I like people to notice them. I like people to connect with them and connect with connect them to their characters and, and say, yeah, that really works. I, I want that to happen. I want people to be aware of how the clothes really do reflect who the characters are. It's important to me. And Trish is one of them and I get to work with high end clothing and and that makes me happy. I do enjoy working with that kind of clothing. I think one of the one, uh, the ones I mentioned to you on Twitter um, when we were covering Luke Cage was I loved the design of cotton mouse clothing because Everyone who's oh, yeah. has had a little bit of green in it. Um, and yep. I know when I spoke to Lauren, he mentioned that there was like a little, you know, like little details in the set as well. There was like a little snake ornament in the, the office set. And um, like mm-hmm. there was a scene, I think, that where um, Mahersha Ali was wearing like little green um, earrings, like little gems, like emeralds. And it's just mm-hmm. that little bit of green mm-hmm. in every costume, I think, is such a great attention to detail. And I think you're right. It really does... Um, give the audience another layer of the character uh, like you were saying about Jessica's costume as well and I, I think that's so important just to it just it, it it's just little things like that that you go oh that's so cool and it just makes you understand a little bit more about that character so I think it's worked really well in all the shows so far that you've done thank um, you and you know we had to we had to keep it grounded mm-hmm. in, in an authentic reality and somehow when we did when we did Jessica Jones and when I was designing Kilgrave's wardrobe he did wear you know we wanted there to be the color purple in his wardrobe but but the color purple is an extremely specific color and it's very strong and I didn't want him to be a you know an ocean of purple every time we saw him because that would be a distracting so I really we worked hard to you know there for there to be you know always a overall sense of shades and tones of lavender or purple in his wardrobe but not to go super over the top with that because then he'd look like a clown and he needed to be a scary guy. You know, he needed to be someone, you know, that was nasty and evil and did horrible things. And if he was always wearing a purple costume, that, that would have been distracting and that would have made him look like a clown. So, but in a way we did use, so we, we kind of did the same thing with him where we indicated shades of purple or maybe there'd be a purple shirt but he'd be that would be paired with a navy blue suit with a texture and mm-hmm. you know his clothes were definitely you know he he was able to walk into any store and say give me that 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 tailored to fit me exactly and uh and he was you know and, and his character liked looking that way and the same with uh cottonmouth you know he was you know he was a wealthy villain and he was able to afford 
whatever he wanted, and, and his look was always extremely high-end. But again, it was the same thing. If we always put him in green, he would look silly. He'd look like a clown, and that would distract from who he really was. And, you know, one of the things I love about these villains and what the showrunners do is they really kind of, they deep they go deeply into these characters, and we get to see flashbacks of who they were when they were children and what happened to them. And it Absolutely. it adds some pathos and, you know, um, sympathy and empathy to how the audience feels about these people. So they're not just pure evil people who, you know, don't have some type of a past that helped create who they are now. And yeah, it was fun to add bits and uh, bits of green to Cottonmouth's look now and again. I mean, the first time we meet him, he's wearing a green suit, which we had built. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we it was based on the look that he continued in a three piece suit with great peak collars on the jacket and wonderful details and um but that was the one time that we allowed for a kind of a full green look for him when he yeah. was introduced and then and and Mahershal himself, he you know, we both agreed that going forward and always wearing a green suit would just be silly. <laughs> so we avoided that. <laughs> he wore those suits so well though. He looked amazing in those oh, suits. Man. Yeah, it was, you know, when we were trying to figure out what he wear and what he was going to wear. And, uh, you know, I was just very lucky. He kind of walked into um, a Dolce Gabbana suit, a Dolce yeah. & Gabbana suit, uh, <laughs> three piece, peak lapel. You know, obviously we needed to do alterations. But, you know, usually I love to build my clothes for my villains or, you know, whoever necessary. Um, I'm also building clothes for my heroes as well mm -hmm. depends on what is required but um when we did our first fitting with Mahershala he literally walked into this this Dolce Gabbana style and we were able to uh mostly utilize that designer for his suits um other designers for his shirts and ties and pocket squares and shoes but for the suits we you know we had a great partnership with Dolce & Gabbana awesome. or collaboration I should say I wanted to mention just a couple of other things really quickly that we had feedback from listeners about. Um, my uh, my co-host, Tammy, um, we've only covered the one episode so far, so she's only seen the first episode of the show. Um, but she uh -huh. is already in love with Joy Meacham's entire wardrobe and has basically said she wants everything <laughs> in Joy Meacham's wardrobe. So I wanted to let yeah. you know that. Um, she's a big fan of, of her outfits. And one of the things I, I wanted to say as well in terms of the Daredevil show that I was a big fan of was the use of colour in between um, uh, Wilson Fisk and Vanessa with um, him in the dark suits, her in the white dresses. Uh, she often wore white. And by the end of the show, mm -hmm. we end up with him in white. I just think it was such a beautiful um, way of just showing these two characters, even though they seem like complete opposites, but they actually um, are kind of perfect for each other. I It, it just really made an impact on me, um, just the, the colours that were used for them in the in the first season of that show. So I wanted to mention that to you as well. Um, okay. And I, I guess like the final question I had was, are there any little um, kind of fun details that have been in any of the costumes that anyone hasn't kind of picked up on that you're able to reveal just before we go? Um, well, I always try to put some history into the costumes. Um, I, you know, I try to text, what's the word, um, um, textualize them mm -hmm. with what might have happened. You know, I, I try to put some backstory in there. And for example, um, uh, this, I've talked about this 
and maybe you already know about it, um, but uh, Wilson Fisk, you know, he had this pair of cufflinks that he always wore. He always wore them until he decided to lighten his look and come come forward. And then there was a big point of him, of it being made, of him choosing another pair of cufflinks and Vanessa, you know, offering him uh, his choice of a variety of cufflinks. And, and that's when he chose to put aside the ones he'd always been wearing. And um, the story, the backstory there was that uh, the cufflinks that he wore up until that moment were, had belonged to his father. Yeah. And that's why they're designed in a sort of a very mid-century look. Mm -hmm. So his father owned those cufflinks and wore them, um, uh, you know, back in the 1960s and the late 50s until, of course, that moment when he was killed by his son. Mm -hmm. So that was a way of Wilson Fisk always remembering and always taking with him forward uh, a piece of his dad, which he, of course, had great conflict and guilt over. Um, um, But he was able to always hang on to those cufflinks uh, as a way of, I suppose, remaining connected to his dad until the moment in which Vanessa was able to convince him to let them go and let him go. Such a great moment. So that was something. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that I really, I always, I I thought a lot about that and I I definitely wanted that to be a piece of his story. No, definitely. And it's, again, the relationship with his father and, you know, shown by those cufflinks is another thing that makes him such a great relatable villain. Uh, you feel sympathy yeah. for him, even though he is a monster. But, you know, you kind of understand why he is the way he is, which I think, again, is a big success of the uh, the shows that um, it, every Absolutely. one of the villains has. Uh, you can have sympathy for them, um, which, again, is just a, another Another thing I love about these shows. Um, well, thank mm-hmm. you so much for for coming on. on the you know, before we a... oh, be, sure. before Sorry. we step off, I mean, I I can say I would love to say one more thing about Iron Fist, Absolutely. Danny Rand's wardrobe. Sure. Um, I I just wanted to say, you know, uh, people have asked me about his look and his kind of looser, you know, why he always wears sneakers with his suits, and even though you know he's entered this corporate world, world and I I really wanted to to contrast his look to Ward Meacham's look and also reflect, you know, the last 15 years of his life when he was in Kung Lung. And, you know, when he was in Kung Lung, he wore very loose garments. There was no dry cleaners in Kung Lung. Everything was very loose and very dirty. And, you know, he didn't wear shoes and, you know, he's always barefoot. And then he walks across the world and, you know, he's able to leave Kung Lung. The opening is there. And, he walks across the world and lands in New York barefoot and eventually is able to prove who he is. And now he has to enter a corporate world. And his look was able to evolve a little bit um, from, you know, being the John Doe character with the, you know, the striped mm-hmm. hoodie that was filthy and the linen pants that were filthy and a little bit of blood on them and barefoot, you know, for, for he changed his clothes a little bit in there. Number one, he had to go to court. He had to clean himself up, and uh, Hogarth gave him a couple bucks so that he could at least yeah. go buy some clothes. And, you know, he didn't know, you know, he's not thinking about it. He's just trying to get clean and uh, or just, you know, get a cleaner look to him so he, he doesn't stand out so much in New York City. But once he had to really take on a kind of a corporate look, he had to figure out a way to be himself, which he remains, he remains very true to himself, obviously, in the stories. Yeah. 
but he needs to also be kind of, he needs to be corporate and he needs to be himself. So, you know, it's kind of funny the way Ward looks at him the first time and, you know, has a look at him and says, well, I think the tie's a little effeminate, but <laughs> yeah. so what does he do? You know, he, uh, you know, I, I sort of, gra- I gravitated toward this, I guess you might want to call it the, the urban Cali look. I've seen that phrase, which is, a, you know, still kind of a slimmer look, but it's a little looser, a little more casual. Um, the pants, you know, they're not as short, you know, there, it's not a short, a shortened pant leg anymore. It's a little bit of a puddle on the bottom. Um, even though the clothes are slim, they're not super tight, super tight silhouette. The shirt is loose. The tie was never tightened all the way. Um, the tie is slim, and uh, um, and ultimately he he has he's wearing sneakers with all of his suits, which. I think it's a really cool look and I really liked yeah. it. And I saw that look a lot and I thought, wow, that's going to be perfect for who Danny Rand becomes, you know, his, his corporate look as it were. And I just, you know, like I said, I really wanted it to reflect how he dressed for the last 15 years and how, you know, how could that translate into how he needs to dress as a partner at Rand Enterprises. I think it's, so that's that story. <laughs> I, I think like I, when we watched it, the way Danny dresses to fit in with the corporate world, I think is how I would dress if I was back in the corporate if world. If you had to do which the I same used, thing. I used yeah. to be in the corporate world and I hated it. So I think that's how <laughs> I would dress as well. I'd definitely be wearing sneakers um, because yeah. they're so comfy. So I would agree. They're with so it. comfy. And, you yeah. know, it's really, it's, you know, you look at, um, I've been posting a lot of photos of, you know, great looks with, you know, that are, you know, you can wear sneakers with, and it's yeah. just, it looks, it's a very modern look. It's very youthful, although it can translate to also women and men who are a little bit older. It's just, it's a, it's a certain mindset and you obviously have to wear it with confidence. You have to wear it, you know, you know, with a boss attitude, um, <laughs> but you can wear it. You can't get away with it. And it can, it can look great with, uh, with what you, with whatever you wear, you know, with a lot of what you wear whether it be a, a dress or a great suit, you know, you just have to, you have to own it. Absolutely. I'm going to take that as your endorsement that I buy more sneakers. <laughs> buy more sneakers. Be comfortable. Own it. Absolutely. <laughs> own it, baby. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad, um, as I said before, that we got to talk to you. And I, I know my listeners will be um, really happy to hear what you said and really interested in um, in the information you gave about the costumes. I was, it was so interesting to hear. And it's, something we definitely discuss a lot on the podcast um, is about Terrific. what everyone wears. Uh, myself and my, my colleague Tammy do another podcast about the old show Quantum Leap, um, which we mainly spend time discussing the fashions on that show. It's kind of, so it's kind of gone over to this as well and that we find we're discussing the fashions of uh, <laughs> Iron Fist a lot at the moment. So she'll be really interested cool. to hear it. Um, but if you would like to, we would love to have you back after the Defenders or you know, when, when you're getting into sort of post-defenders time and just talk again, and I'm sure there'll be loads of Please, I'd love to. Yeah, it would be great yeah. to talk to you again. And, yeah, in the meantime, I hope you have a, a, a great break. And, yeah, we'll definitely be chatting on, on Twitter, and I'll be retweeting a lot of your stuff, as always. Um, but, yeah, I hope you have a great Fantastic. break before you get back to work. You too. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. You can comment and send feedback to us by emailing defenderspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash defenderspodcast or on Twitter at defenderspod. Defenders Podcast is created under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 
3.0 unported international license. That means you can share it, you can send it to your friends, you just can't make any money off of it. You can't change it and you have to link back to us and our site. Excelsior!